Well, this morning we are on the second week of a series called The Journey. Uh, We are looking through the uh, Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the Gospels, and it tells us all about um, this journey of discovering who Jesus is. Um, and, and I said last week, some of us are on this journey for the first time. This is your first time being in a church setting, learning about spiritual things, and so it's exciting. Uh, and I trust that uh, as we make our way through each week that, that some of the lights will go on and it'll be good. Um, others of you, this is sort of like maybe a second trip or maybe a third trip. And it kind of reminds me of my, um, my, my go-to iHeart radio station, um, which uh, I don't probably have to tell you, you would guess it quickly. It's Lost 80s. And it says on the tagline, songs you forgot you knew. And so um, my poor family, when we're driving in the car, I subject them to the Lost 80s. But um, similar to this, there may be things that you knew at one time about who Jesus is, but, uh, but you forgot, or maybe it just hasn't been front and center. And so this is an opportunity um, to, to rediscover. And, uh, and, and many of you know here, if you've been here for a while, that I have this, uh, this really annoying habit of tying messages with 80s pop songs. And so uh, true to form, that is going to stand true this morning. Everybody Wants You is the name of the message. And if you know the song, then you know the song. If not, I'm not going to sing it. Um, but we are going to just jump right in and, and read it. And here's, here's what it says. Um, it says this, And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And so just to kind of catch us up to where we are, this passage is opening up and it's giving us a glimpse into what life was like in a small town in the north of Israel called Capernaum, uh, a town you probably have never heard of, but I can't help but notice um, as I was looking through this passage this week, that even though we're half a world away, even though we're 2,000 plus years removed from when this all took place, that there's a whole lot of similarities between what life was like back then in Capernaum and what life is like today here in Carmel. And so I want to um, you know, kind of test some of those out and tease some of those out. And Capernaum was the destination that Jesus immediately sets out for after he recruits his core four. Um, His first disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they tag along as Jesus finds himself in this town, and he goes to the synagogue to drop in for their Sabbath service. And and so that synagogue would have been filled with people who were a lot like you and a lot like me. They, They gathered together to worship God, just like we're doing this morning. And, and people arrived with all kinds of different things going on in their lives. Sometimes, some of them, there were some really good things going on, and they were just exalting. And, and for others, there was just some heavy things going on, and they were just arriving with a sense of, of desperation. And so that's the setting. Uh, somehow Jesus uh, makes his way up to the front, and, and before long, he's got the mic in his hand, and he's been asked, invited, to share a few words with the congregation. And it says this, that those who were in attendance that day, they were astonished at what they heard. Now, I know what you're thinking. Um, Pastor Brian, 
this is where the similarities end, right? Because, you know, you're not exactly astonishing (laughs) as a speaker, and you're saying, I am just struggling to stay awake, and if I do, that'll be good. Okay, I get it. I understand. Um, but, But the reason they were astonished that day wasn't so much about the teaching. It was about the teacher, um, and if you were here last week for the intro, you, you might not be surprised about that, because if you remember back, we, we learned that Mark's purpose in, in, in writing down this gospel account was to answer this question, who is Jesus? And, and in the synagogue that Sabbath morning, they found him to be this teacher who taught like no one else they'd ever heard before. There was There was something special about this guy, and it wasn't just that he was charming or that he had charisma or that he told good jokes. It's that he taught with this unprecedented sense of authority. He he had command over what it was he was teaching about, and it blew them away. You know, that word authority, it's an extension of the word author, right? Author. And it's as if they were listening to the very author expand on the scriptures he had written, which, which actually is exactly the case. They didn't know it at the time, but, but, but it blows them away. And, and this kind of sets the scene for what happens next, where this, this spiritual um, showdown breaks out right in the middle of the worship service. So let's just keep on reading and see where it goes from here. It says this, Immediately, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So, so the people here are beginning to find out that there's a whole lot more to Jesus than just an a, a authoritative teacher. Um, there, there was a person in attendance in the morning service that day whose, whose life you might describe as just being out of control. Something else had assumed control of this guy's life. It had taken over his life, and it was consuming, and it was destroying him. And and the truth is, he he didn't have the strength to shake loose from it. Um, You know, in our day, we we talk about things and issues, and we say, hey, that guy's got some demons he's wrestling with. And, And we use that phrase to describe these different kinds of destructive struggles um, that can't seem to, to break free from, uh, whether it's addictions or, or compulsions or, or abuses. You know, those, those weren't just realities back then and there in Capernaum. We're still wrestling with those things today, right here in, in Carmel, in this area, aren't we? You know, um, there's, there's all kinds of explanations and, and all kinds of insights that help us to make sense of it. You know, there's factors, there's, there's relational factors and biological factors and, and environmental factors. But there's another factor as well, that there's a spiritual factor, a spiritual component that oftentimes in our day, in our society, gets left unaddressed. 
And so Mark writes it down. He identifies that this is what was taking control of this guy's life. It was an unclean spirit. And it was, it was assuming control. It was in charge. All right, so let's just hit the pause button for a second because we're in some foreign territory for some of us, right? Uh, we live in a culture that, that doesn't really give us the, the tools, the paradigm to make sense of, of passages like this, you know, spirits and demons and stuff like that. We, we live in this Western civilization and, and our civilization tries to explain everything through this materialistic filter. What that means is that if you can't see it, if you can't touch it, if you can't taste it, if you can't hear it, if you can't smell it, then it's not real. That's the paradigm. All of existence gets pushed through this scientific grid, and it's a grid that filters out spiritual realities. It it reduces faith to nothing more than a mere coping mechanism, just a tool to get through life, No, no actual connection with anything real or eternal, and yet, I don't probably have to tell you, uh, maybe I do have to tell you, but the evidence seems to come in, and it continues to come in time and time again, that that grid is just too small. It, it doesn't work. There are some things that we experience in life that don't fit through that kind of filter. Our, our experiences and our existences, they, they go beyond what just our senses can take in. And, and that doesn't mean that, that science is bad. Um, It just means that science cannot explain everything. It's just incomplete on its own. And that's because what we find out here is that at the very core of who we are as people, we're more than just physical beings. We're, We're spiritual. We are people with souls. And there's this spiritual component that we just cannot um, get rid of. Um, These spiritual realities, they impact our world and our lives in very real ways. And so for some of us, you know, these these spiritual realities, we just tend to not address them at all. We just try to pretend they don't exist. But others may go in the opposite direction and obsess over these spiritual realities. Like if you've ever come across someone who's just everything is a demon. I don't know if you've ever encountered this person. You know, if you have a stomach ache... um, there's a demon of indigestion and it needs to get cast out. Like, no, maybe it's just that you went back for one too many helpings of meatloaf. You know, you should have just kept it at two, but you went for three and now you're paying the price. Um, sometimes we often also, we, we make the mistake of assuming that just because something is spiritual, then that must mean that it's good and we can automatically embrace it. Take note, we see this here in this passage already, spiritual is sometimes a synonym for demonic. You see, the spiritual dimension, it's not only real, it's a battlefield, and that battle continues to rage today right here in Carmel, uh, just like it did that day in Capernaum. Now, now this is a subject we're going to return to. Um, because Mark returns it as we go through this book. So um, for right now, I just want to lay a little bit of a foundation uh, so you can start to process this. And three truths. Number one is that there are unseen spiritual realities that impact our, our lives and this world. That's number one. Number two, you have an enemy. You have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy 
So, so don't make the mistake of thinking that Satan and devils and demons, these are just labels that those ignorant ancients just slapped on things they didn't understand. Um, that's not the case. And make no mistake, this enemy, he's stronger than you are. I hate to break it to you. It doesn't matter how much you can bench. It doesn't matter how many squat thrusts you can do and burpees. Physical strength can't ever compete against spiritual attack. There's simply no contest. And finally, number three, and this is the part that this passage is really zooming in on, is this, that Jesus holds absolute authority over this entire unseen spiritual realm. So when he taught He had mastery over the material, and he's demonstrating here that he has that same mastery over this unclean spirit. He he commands the demon to leave, and he's gone. See, no one else in the synagogue that day had the authority to do that. Uh, You and I, we don't possess the authority to do something like that, but, but in the synagogue that Sabbath, they saw firsthand that what Jesus says goes what Jesus says goes. And so very slowly what we're seeing is a little bit of a portrait um, come into view about who is this Jesus. Let's, let's keep reading and, and see what happens in this next scene after Jesus leaves the synagogue and, and goes to, to the home. He says this, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him." All right, we'll stop here. And uh, basically what we're seeing here is that the setting is different, but the situation is pretty similar, right? This time, Simon's mom, her, his mother-in-law is sick, and she's come down with a fever, and, and Jesus steps in. Uh, the same authority that he demonstrated over Scripture and over the spirits, he's now demonstrating that he has over sickness as well. This time, there's no command. No, no words at all. In fact, um, Jesus simply reaches out and, and the touch of his hand makes the fever flee. So what we're finding out here is that his authority hasn't hit a limit yet. Where is the lid of Jesus' authority um, stand? It's, it's not contained to just the religious domain. It's not contained to just the, the, the spiritual domain. He's even command here of, of the physical, of people's bodies. Night falls and the whole city shows up at the front door and there's just mounds of desperate people finding in Jesus something they cannot find anywhere else. And these are people just like you and me. You know, we're all just, we're broken down people. We're living in this broken down world and there are things that we just can't control. They're just beyond us. And so here's the picture Here's, here's the portrait that we're starting to kind of see about who Jesus is. And the answer to this question, who is Jesus? The answer is that he is the ultimate authority. The answer is that whatever scene Jesus enters into, out of control immediately turns into under control. 
whatever arena it is. He steps foot into it, every setting, every situation. He always arrives as the first and the final authority and out of control turns into under control. And, and, that, and that reality, it's not just something that held true back then in Capernaum. It's still true in places like Carmel today. And it's something that Christ followers, we desperately need to grab hold of that and comprehend this, that, that the issue of authority, the issue of who's in charge, it's been settled. And that's regardless of how complicated a situation may present itself. It's regardless of how out of league you may feel. The moment Jesus enters onto the scene, the question of who's in charge, it's over and it's never up for grabs. And maybe it's worth clarifying the answer to that question, who's in charge? It's not me, right? And it's not you, it's it's him. And these are just snapshots of of Jesus at work. These are are snapshots and scenes of, of, of what this kingdom of God that Jesus came here to usher in, this is what it looks like restoring what's broken, subduing those renegade powers, ushering in redemption and healing and peace into people's lives and not only in Capernaum. He's he's still in the business of doing that in places like like Carmel here today. And so this composite, this composite of Christ, it's, it's getting clearer, but it's also worth noting that at this stage, it's not complete. We're just going to keep on reading and see, here's how people are responding at this point to the Jesus that they're seeing. And so here's what it says. It says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, this is an incredible scene here. Jesus is on the heels of just having one of the busiest days, a jam-packed day full of ministry and activity. And yet he wakes up before, before sunrise and he heads off to this quiet place to be alone, to connect with his father in prayer. Now, Jesus, of course, he's modeling here something for us of how crucial it is to maintain that connection with our Heavenly Father. And, and, and it's showing us that that reliance matters so much more than performance. But, but this is also the place in, in this book, in this gospel, where we see this is episode number one of missing the point, adventures in missing the point. This is where that all starts out. And Stay tuned, there's a lot more to come. Adventures and missing the point about Jesus. Those who encountered Jesus, they, they, they were coming to some answers to some very important questions. But at this point, the answers they were coming up were just not on point. The right question, of course, is who is this Jesus? The core four disciples, they, they were asking that question. They were taking it all in. They had a front row seat to everything Jesus had done the day before. They saw this unbridled authority in overdrive on full display. But when they can't find Jesus that morning after they wake up, they, they set out to find him. And they're, they're not just looking for Jesus to find out where he's gone off to. 
they're on a manhunt to bring him back to where they think he belongs. The, the, the Greek word for search for him, it literally reads, hunt him down the way you would an animal. Uh, because they understand that Jesus has become a man in demand. He can do things no one else can do, and everybody wants a piece of him. Um, and the disciples just had some very particular assumptions some expectations about this is how this is going to play out. This is how it's going to proceed based on what we've seen up to this point. And you see it, you can hear it in these words. They say, everyone is looking for you. Crowds of people who want something from you. You don't belong here. We got to get back there and give the people what they want. You know, there's a, there's a kind of attitude that can actually turn Jesus into a commodity. What can Jesus do for me? Hey, Jesus, would you mind wielding a little bit of that authority of yours over here in my direction? Give me a piece of that. And again, that kind of attitude, it didn't just exist in Capernaum. It's, it's alive and well today in places like Carmel, where it's not about who he is, and what he wants. It's about me getting what I want. It's the kind of attitude that turns Jesus into a genie. And we just summon him whenever we're in need. We rub the lamp and he comes out, he gives us what we want and we say, thank you, Jesus, see you later. And at this point, that's about where the disciples were at. You you see it at, at this stage, Here's what it comes down to. The composite is incomplete. Uh, Now, make no mistake, Jesus has all the authority, all the power. But you see, he didn't leave heaven, come to earth to walk around and be on a power trip. That was not the purpose for his coming. And, And that's a big part of the reason, if you look at this passage and you scratch your head, why doesn't he want people to know who he is? That's why he's reluctant at this point because they're reaching false conclusions about who he is. They've only seen this very small portion of him, this abbreviated Jesus. And what they see is that someone they can just use to get what they want and then go their own way. And he says, that's, that's not what I'm about. That's not the reason I came. And, and at this point, there's only two people who, who understand in full, and that's Jesus and his father. And that attitude, um, it's, it's not only the disciples that have that. There's one final exhibit, exhibit number two of missing the point, And that comes from this final scene of this, this leper. It says this, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing that Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter." Now, in this, in this episode, unlike what we've already seen, Jesus doesn't take the initiative. This, 
this leper makes a very bold move and begs for Jesus's miraculous intervention. And I love that Jesus does. And, and there's one added component to the portrait right here is, is we see that Jesus is not just filled with authority. He's also full of compassion. He sees this leper and he says with, he had pity on him. And I just love that Jesus has compassion. Uh, I hope you're glad about that as well. And yet, on the other side of the healing, uh, Jesus gives this command. He tells the leper, go to the temple, verify with the officials that you've been healed. You see, here's the deal. Lepers, were high, they had a highly contagious skin disease. And so you know what they did? They quarantined them from society so that that contagious disease could be limited. Now, I can't wait after service is over for you to tell me just how their rights were being violated and infringed upon. Um, Please, keep them to yourself. Um, But Jesus shares in the strongest terms possible. He commands this healed leper, go to the officials so they can verify that you're cleansed and then you can re-enter society again. That was the purpose for the command. And, and, And look at what happens. This healed leper blows Jesus off. Now remember, we just saw Jesus as commander-in-chief. He, he commanded the spirit to leave, and, and he obeyed instantly. He commanded the sickness to leave, and it's gone immediately. And yet when it comes to people, to human beings like you and me, here's this, this someone that Jesus just gave him his life back, and he blows off the highest authority in the universe because he's got what he's wanted. See, that's, that's what happens when the picture of Jesus we have gets reduced to a, what can you do for me, Jesus? And, and, and no, don't make the mistake, it's not that it's wrong. This, this composite is incomplete. He is teacher. He is bondage breaker. He is healer. But if that's all we're seeing, then we miss the fullness of who he is because he is so much more than that. So so what I'm going to do to just close is just break the rules of of reading a book and telling a story and let you in in advance on what this is all leading to. Here's what it is. Any composite of Jesus Christ that doesn't include the cross is incomplete. That's that's what this is about. That is the place where Jesus is seen clearly for who he is only when we understand that the purpose in his coming was to go to the cross. That place where he accomplished our forgiveness, where he gave up his life, not just to heal, not just to, not just to, to liberate us for a moment, but to forgive us forever, to restore that relationship with God that, that sin had broken and severed. And so until we get to that point where we see Jesus as Savior, We're missing out on who he really is. The disciples didn't get it at this point. And Jesus says, let's keep on going. You've got more to grow in in your understanding of me. Um, See, there's there's the Jesus that people we want, that people want, and there's the the Jesus that that people need. Jesus didn't come to be the the savior that we want and to just fulfill our temporal uh, requests. He came to set us up for an eternity of a restored right relationship with God. And he did that for, 
for people in Capernaum. He did that for people in Carmel to understand that, that all of the things that we've done that have separated us from God, all of our brokenness, all of our failures, all of our missteps, that they can be healed in an instant the same way that that, that, that leper was healed the same way that that fever was healed, the same way that that demon, that demonic man was, was released, that that same thing can happen through faith in Christ and the outcome of what he accomplished on the cross. And so we are trying so hard to do one thing. This is what our church is about. It's about seeing Jesus for who he is. And uh, as we do that, uh, my hope and my expectation is that it, it will shift our lives. It will transform our lives. It will change us in, in a deep, uh, needed way. And um, we're going to close uh, the service this morning by just, just doing that. Uh, we, we celebrate communion uh, once a month here at Lakeview. Uh, unfortunately, we are still subjected to using these uh, um, COVID-friendly communion cup dispensaries. And um, I think Felix has the... Uh, the um, the, the cups, and if you didn't get one on your way in, but this is just a beautiful way to, um, to fix our focus on the fullness of who Jesus is. And Jesus said before he, before he gave his life, he said, uh, do this in remembrance of me. Um, he, he went and told his, uh, his disciples that uh, this is who I am, this is what it is that I am about, and, and this is going to be an everlasting reminder of everything that I've done for you. And, and we celebrate recognizing that, uh, that who we are uh, before God, it's, it's not the byproduct of everything we've done. Like, God, accept me because I have been such a good... And the byproduct of what Jesus did on the cross when he gave his life, when he shed his blood, when he allowed his body to be broken for us. And so if you are a uh, follower of Christ, you're invited, you're welcome to participate in this. If you're kind of just, man, I am not quite sure where I am on my spiritual journey, then I just want to invite you to just uh, just watch what's going on and uh, see that this is, this is really the, the heart of, uh, of what our faith really means and where the source of everything good comes from. So let's pray.